0: To the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare.
1: For the very first time, our first in studio guest, Lion's Dead. Ryan McWilliams.
2: Thank like you. The Lions,
3: then. Thank you. The splendor I'm surrounded with. I can't even begin to describe. Honestly, the, the studios of the Lions delivery podcast are breathtaking to behold. There's there's sapphires, there's diamonds and rubies. The couch is magnificent. Really, it's it's it, it's flush.
1: It's a top-notch operation here, no doubt. We spare no expense. On the decor and on our whiskey. So, Brian, what whiskey are you drinking today?
3: I'm uh, I'm sporting a little Maker's Mark 46. It's a step above the usual Maker's Mark. It's a pretty tasty beverage, I will say.
1: Excellent. And I just got a standard, classic Jack Daniel's Tennessee whiskey. Nothing fancy. I'm keeping it. You know, I'm keeping it college style. Actually, college style would probably be even lower quality than Jack Daniel's. Oh Real Jim Beam, I think. We also have on the line all the way across the country. From Chili Chili PA, John Odermatt, better known to me as Odie. John, how you doing? It's great to be here. Great to be here from the uh, freezing
2: cold state of uh, Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh here. It's supposed to uh, snow tonight, so that's, uh, that's exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> no, I
1: don't know what that is. I, I live in California. I've never heard <laughs> of that. But um, it's freezing here too, so I don't know why. You know, it's freezing as hell here. It was like what sixty today? It was all the way down to sixty. Oh, okay, back. it was crazy. So look, we all we're all a little chilly. That's why we got the whiskey to warm us up. Mm-hmm. And uh, John, what whiskey are you drinking over there?
2: Uh, Speaking of the devil, you were just uh, talking about Jim Beam. I have myself some uh, Kentucky uh, straight bourbon whiskey, Jim Beam, Even fitting for, uh,
1: for our discussion here, I think. Nice. We've got the full gamut. We're really That's the point of this segment, though. We're trying to harken back to our college days. We've known each other for you know, 10, 12-ish years or so, not to age ourselves too much. And this is what we used to do. We used to sit around, drink a whiskey, and have a chat. So we're going to try to recreate that experience for you all here in our very first The Lions of Liberty Whiskey Chat
3: You know, I want to say I think this is actually How our involvement became You know, with the Liberty Party I think it actually started This exact same way The Liberty Party well, is- our involvement with the Well, not not that we consider ourselves official members Of the Libertarian Party But involvement with The Libertarian cause Getting involved with Ron Paul I think it all began with Uh a bit of whiskey and a bit of Ron Paul talk, and <laughs> I think that's how we, we kind of all got voted. One way or another, I think it does all
1: come back to the whiskey. Um, now, Odie, you actually got first got involved, I mean, I specifically remember we were having a few glasses of whiskey in a, a seedy Inland Empire bar, and that's kind of what led you down the path to liberty. Can you, you touch on that for the audience for a second? yeah I think we uh you know, I think I remember about maybe you know half of that night
2: but yeah the whiskey was definitely flowing and uh you know you were bringing up some some crazy ideas I'd never heard of before like you know a republican that was anti-war and all that good stuff so uh I was uh you know pretty you know taken aback and I'd never heard of that before but uh you know enough jim Beam, and it opened up my mind and um, started talking about Ron Paul, and, uh, you know, he really just, really just lit a fire under me. And uh, led right into the 2000 debates and the 2008 presidential election, the run-up. And from there, it just, you know, just hit the ground running. And uh, it was the first time I'd ever heard a politician, you know, just you know, take on the establishment. Um, you know, I remember vividly during that um, debate, I think it was in maybe December 2007, uh, the famous uh, Rudy Giuliani um, debate when Ron Paul. Uh, we all miss
1: Rudy, just a little bit.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, that 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 really um, opened my eyes for sure. So from there, it's just been you know an educational experience and trying to read as much and learn as much as I can since then.
1: And that's why we started LionsofLiberty.com. dot com. That's why we, I do this podcast. That's why we're here in the whiskey chat to open up some minds, get some ideas flowing, and hopefully get people thinking a different way. And today's subject is one that's brought a lot of controversy our way. Whenever we write about this person, this subject, we get a lot of flack, we get a lot of praise too, but it generates, I would say, more heat than just about anything we talk about, and the subject today is... Sorry, we're still working on the budget for the actual drum roll. The subject is, drum roll. Rand Paul. Now, when Rand Paul first kind of came on the scene, I think in probably 2008, 2009, he was stumping for Ron a little bit. We all liked him. You know, he said a lot of good things. He sounded a lot like Ron Paul. And then when he ran for Senate in 2010, I think we were all pretty excited about that, too. Hey, this is the next Ron Paul, another guy that understands the message of liberty And is very articulate in conveying it. He's not the same as Ron Paul. In many ways, he's probably more articulate than Ron Paul. And I think Ron Paul himself would probably even admit that. But over the years, I think, you know, since his Senate victory and since he's started to kind of become a senator, so to speak, we've noticed a little bit of a change. A little bit of a change in his style of speech, in the kind of statements he makes. I don't think I just speak for myself here when I say it's not been a change for the better. Especially for those of us, as we do here, that see this libertarian movement as about ideas, and about having the right ideas, and about pushing ideas forward. Now, when I say he's changed the way he speaks about things, and I I think it seems to me that he's starting to phrase his statements differently, starting to say completely different things, or at least things contrary to what we see as a libertarian position— and that's why we choose to point that out because, to, like I said before, this is about ideas for us. This is about sending the right message, conveying the right ideas. And it doesn't really matter what someone's last name is, or if they're running for office. It's important to always focus
3: on ideas because if we get away from that, well, you know, where are we in the first place? Uh, you know, let me jump in right there. You know, you just said right now, and this is the thing that we see the most is that the last name has such an impact on the way people interpret and view Rand Paul. And like I said, look, when he was first running, we got behind him. He said all the right things. Not all the right things. He got skewered in the media quite a few times. But he said many, many right things that, that really got, you know, if you're a libertarian, you can agree with most of them. And libertarian thinking people have still taken that Rand Paul that used to exist and put him at the forefront of their minds and that Rand Paul doesn't exist and it's it's almost as if they refuse to accept that anymore you know um, you know like you said when we, when we write about Rand Paul we get a lot of pushback a lot of people don't want to accept what he's become or they put blinders on as to what he's become and you know i mean I, i'm are you guys seeing the same thing i'm seeing
1: Oh absolutely and and to be clear we don't just you know we don't just write negative articles about Rand Paul we also write positive articles about Rand Paul it's become a little more of one than the other lately but we try to praise all politicians of all ilks. We praise Dennis Kucinich, Alan Grayson when they take the right position on the Federal Reserve or an anti-war position, something like that. So, you know, we try to be consistent with ideas and not necessarily consistent with what party we support or what
3: politicians we support. We're liberty agnostic.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Whoever
3: for liberty, we're for. <laughs>
1: Now, Odie, I mean, I, I think you're like the rest of us. You were really into Rand Paul when he first came out. and You seemed like a real fiery, you know, spokesman for Liberty. Is there a moment that you can think that kind of springs in your mind is when you first started to think, okay, something doesn't quite seem right here. Something seems a little off.
2: Well, I, I definitely definitely was a huge Rand Paul supporter, just like you guys were, you know, when he started to send a run. And pretty much everything he said, it was like, a, you know, like a clone of Ron. It was, it was exciting to see something like that come along. And, uh, you know, I even donated to his campaign. Um, I still get mail every week because of that, which kind of stinks.
3: Just got a letter but, today, actually.
2: But, uh, I, I mean, I think I even, you know, I might have got an argument with one of you guys, or I forget who, over saying that he has a toupee. And I would say, no, it's just, just a bad hair day. It's not <laughs> I mean, that's neither here nor there, but.
3: It's neither here nor there. That's right. Yeah, that's we, the kind of come. you can get on the Lions the, Podcast.
1: That's the kind of humor you get in the whiskey chat. Because <laughs> after a glass of whiskey, that's just hilarious. Hair
2: jokes. Hey, exactly. And I'm, act- I'm actually on my second glass. So, you know, I'm not, you know, not used to drinking as much, maybe slur my words a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I was definitely into, very much into Rand Paul. And I probably can't pinpoint an exact moment when uh, something he said or when it changed. I think I would, you know, hear him. You know, veer off course a little bit. Uh, maybe, you know, for example, when he voted for sanctions against Iran, you know, I'll tell myself in the back of my mind, uh, you know, he's doing this now, but maybe he's just doing it, you know, to appease, you know, the establishment. But he can't really mean that, you know, he's not. That can't be real. I mean, he's Ron Paul's son. He can't really be voting for sanctions against Iran. You know, sanctions are an act of war, as as we know. You know, that's that's not a libertarian uh, belief, not a libertarian principle. I guess it kind of wore on me over time after seeing, you know, instance after instance where he would really just lose his libertarian beliefs completely. Part of uh, what you guys were talking about before, the the diehard Rand Paul supporters, are they just, you know, just blindly, you know, following him or, or what is it? And I think maybe part of what it is, is they just want to see, and maybe I'm totally wrong. I don't know. But uh, they just want to see a, a winner, you know, So much was invested in the Ron Paul's campaigns and there was a ton of progress made. And maybe some of these Ron Paul supporters aren't seeing the progress that can be made by, you know, speaking truth to power. And like I was talking about before, being in a establishment debate and spouting libertarian beliefs. And sometimes that's what it takes to, to wake people up. That's what it took to wake me up is sometimes you don't hear a certain policy or a certain idea Presented in, in that way I mean, you know, don't hear politicians Talk about blowback Establishment politicians would never talk about Oh, you know, it's not even possible In their minds that the bombs we drop In foreign countries could, could come back to, to cause terror at home But uh, it's just been a, you know, a slippery slope for Rand I think, and at this point I'm not going to say I've lost all faith In him, you know, I think he can still do Do some good but uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely not looking up and maybe, you know, best case if, if he, you know, sells out completely and wins the presidency, maybe he has a, a Ronald Reagan-like term and, you know, maybe best case we can have a 5% tax reduction and a minute reduction in spending. But in my mind, that's not, that's not winning individual liberty. That's not, um, that's not advancing the cause of liberty for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. And you bring up Reagan, and I think Reagan's a really good example of kind of the idolatry that can go on of holding someone up as almost a god, as Reagan still is to this day. He's held up as a conservative conservative god when, I mean, government increased under Reagan. The debt ceiling was raised multiple times. Taxes were raised multiple times. And this is what comes across as, you know, someone that's a libertarian god, Defense spending increased exponentially. There are all these decidedly not small government, not at all libertarian things that happened during the Reagan administration. But to this day, many people associate Ronald Reagan with conservatism, with libertarianism.
3: I think in many ways that set the true libertarian movement back. Brian, what about you? You know, it's it's funny. You just said set the true libertarian movement back. And there's something you know, that John was saying, Matt was saying. I wrote an article about this, and it was titled, Rand Paul is... Hurting the Libertarian Party More Than Helping It. and Hurting Libertarianism. Hurting Libertarianism, that's it. Hurting Libertarianism More Than Helping It. And, you know, I, I wrote a couple of articles, and like Mark said, I wrote an article touting his filibuster of the drones. That was great. That was a huge Libertarian cause. It was great that he did it. Uh, then I wrote an article about how Rand Paul is the uh, the Isle of Lucy of the Libertarian uh, world because it's, you know, he does something great, but then it's kind of, you know, Rand, you got some explaining to do. This article I wrote recently about, you know, is he better or worse libertarian party is kind of the same vein in that Rand Paul, for better or worse, is viewed as a libertarian. And you say Ronald Reagan is a libertarian party. Right? Well, Rand Paul, I think, is doing the same thing right now because he is viewed primarily by the public as a libertarian. That's what he's viewed as. And right Even or wrong, he, right, that right is is wrong, that
1: is how he's viewed. If you Google Rand Paul Libertarian, you get a ton of articles with the words Rand Paul and Libertarian in the headline. Even though he has at times said he's not a libertarian. He, he, said, said, it's,
3: himself. Yep.
1: he said it's an albatross hanging around his neck. But at the same time, he is viewed that way in the public. And that's why when he says something that we feel is decidedly against libertarian principles, we're going to point that out. And we're going to bring it up you don't get a special exemption because of your last
3: name or because you're a senator. Exactly. And, you know, it's like when he does these things, especially, great, he gets positive attention for the filibuster for the drones. He gets negative points taken away. Uh, You know, when he supports, like you said, sanctions on Iran. When he supports, I mean, just recently, you know, he didn't object to the the pork barrel uh, kind of spawning for the dam in Kentucky.
1: Well, yeah, that brings us up to an article that just came out this week um, where Rand Paul actually defended Some pork barrel spending that Mitch McConnell got put into the shutdown bill. Uh, It's called the Olmstead Project. There's an article in Huffington Post, and we'll link to this when we post this podcast on on our site, on liberty.com. The title is Rand Paul, Olmstead Project, a boondoggle, but necessary. From this article, Rand says, It's one of these things that we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. No pun intended. <laughs> Funny guy. Just like a, a politician. Whiskey chat Canada
3: right there. <laughs> kind
1: of is, he, is he in a whiskey chat? Why is he making these pun <laughs> jokes? That, these pun jokes are reserved for whiskey chats, guys. Come on. Because we've gotten halfway into this thing, and it's extraordinarily expensive, and it's a boondoggle, but we can't stop because we do need the Damn. Now, this is the same kind of rhetoric you will find in just about any run-of-the-mill Republican or Democrat. They'll say things like, hey, we're against this, we don't think this should be in there, but, you know, it's already going on, it is the way it is, we just had to go along with it to advance X political goal or X political agenda, or in Rand's view, to get the government running again, because Rand has also come out and said, we've got to end this shutdown, the government shouldn't close almost accepting the premise that the government was closed in the first place when only i say between 17 to 20 percent of the government's close really basically national parks and war memorials is about all that they close uh you still had drone bombings going on i'm pretty sure the nsa is still spying on us all sorts of things we still have military bases everywhere so the very
3: idea that there was effort or true shutdown is equally absurd well, by the way, that same rhetoric is also used when we're in the middle of wars as well. As you remember, everybody said, "There's no way, no matter what happens, we can't pull out of any of the countries that we're at wars with because you know we're already we're already halfway done. We got to keep going with that. You can't just pull out halfway in. You know, you got to keep in there. So, uh, yeah, the the rhetoric is ridiculous. If we could
2: jump back to that uh, that pork barrel spending, um, yeah, there, but, go for it. Just for a minute, I think I think I disagree with you guys and. I think I think Ron Paul might disagree with you too. Um, I know that this is something that Ron caught a, a lot of flack with, but he definitely would or push to put in a lot of legislation that he would support to bring spending back to his uh, back to his home state and back to his congressional district. And the way that Ron would look at it, and this is a little bit different in Rand's situation, but the way the way that Ron would look at it is. You know, the the taxpayers in that district, the businesses in that district, um, they're already paying taxes to the federal government. You might as well try to get them to come back and be spent at home. And obviously, you know, it's misallocated and and all that. But um, still, it's probably better as, you know, you're electing your congressman and your senator to to go to Washington to fight for your district and your state. Um, I think maybe Rand and uh, Mitch McConnell are – I'm not going to say doing a good thing because it shouldn't even be spent in the first place, but if it's being spent, if people are being taxed, the money's being taken out of their paychecks, you know, at the point of a gun, really, individuals and from businesses, you might as well try to get it to come back to your state. Do uh, you guys have any thoughts on that?
1: And there's definitely something to that. I mean, it's kind of the same thing when, when people go to the extreme and they say, oh, you're a libertarian, you're a hypocrite because you use the roads, or you're a hypocrite because you use dollars, or you use the post office. I mean, they are extracting funds from us and putting it into certain things. So there's nothing wrong with us trying to get that back by actually using some of those services that we can use. Obviously, I do need the road to get to and from. I think the private sector could, you know, <laughs> create roads and or create transportation. Maybe it wouldn't be as many roads in in different ways, but there's nothing wrong with me using it. It was still my money, our money used for these things. So by that logic, I understand that. What Ron would always use that example with was the fact that, you know, in terms of earmarks, that if you don't earmark the money, you know, in a spending bill, and as you said, that money is still getting spent. And if it's not earmarked, it does go to the federal, you know, to the executive branch. So yeah, you don't want the executive branch to just be able to do whatever you want with it may as well earmark it. I think a major difference here is that Ron voted against every spending bill, whereas actually, Rand did, re, did vote against the shutdown bill, but did also defend kind of this, this pork spending. Another major difference is that Ron never really got any of his spending because he didn't make any backdoor deals. He put the earmarks in, but they would never get approved. Earmarks are simply requests. And you know when they go through committee, those requests get taken out or added or what have you. In the case of Mitch McConnell, the original money that was spent on this was actually increased by, I don't have the numbers in
3: front of me, but... Uh, from $760 million to $2.6 right. it went is,
1: up something like
3: $2.2 in extra yeah. funds. and this is not a bill, this is, the government's already broke and they're going to say, okay, on top of everything else, we're going to put in this $2.6 billion to finish this dam in Kentucky that's going to save taxpayers, they say, a, a whopping $160 million according to whatever government math uh, in Kentucky you want to follow.
1: Right, so the story we're getting is somehow that spending an extra 2.2 billion in the long run of of, however they do this government math as we'll call it somehow saves the public quote unquote the taxpayer 160 something million dollars how that math works out I'm still not sure maybe Paul Krugman can tell us tomorrow (laughs) in the New York Times or something like that now but this brings together kind of an interesting point and that is Rand's kind of cozy relationship with Mitch McConnell and it's obviously they're both senators from Kentucky when Rand first ran For senator, He was opposed by McConnell. McConnell anointed his boy, Trey Grayson, to be the successor um, to Jim Bunning's Senate seat in Kentucky. And the establishment basically got behind Trey Grayson. And it's the grassroots, the libertarians, that pushed Rand with the money, pushed Rand with the funding, and got him into office. Got him through that primary. And in Kentucky, if you win the Republican primary, you're pretty much going to be the senator. They almost always go Republican that way. But since that time, since Rand has been a rival of Mitch McConnell, they've become cozy. They've become buddies. They've supported each other. And obviously, if you want to advance things, I understand people. You know, one of the biggest criticisms we get is people say, you guys just don't understand politics. You don't understand the game Rand is playing. He's going to almost, they act like he's almost going to sneak his way into the... Bait and switch, they say. That's what they think is going to happen, a bait and switch. It's kind of like in pro wrestling, where you'll have a couple good guys that are buddies, and then one of them turns on his good guy buddy rips off his t-shirt, and he's got the bad guy shirt on. And this is kind of the reverse of that. Everyone thinks Rand is kind of going to you know go stealth neocon kind of act like an establishment guy get into office rip off that suit and have the ron paul revolution shirt on right, underneath right. and we're all going to say see we told you he was just playing along to get along and now he's going to usher in a libertarian utopia well what do you think about that kind of criticism you get uh brian
3: i just you know honestly i i think that again if people they want to believe so badly there's true believers and and ron paul had true believers and he had true believers for a reason because he honestly deserved them. He earned them over the course of twenty years, being the man he he put himself forward to be. Uh, Rand Paul has altered his stances so rapidly that I just don't see how that. I don't see how he's earned the trust people have in him. Where they say that yes, okay, he's going to come in, he's going to rip the shirt off, he's going to be this man. I just don't believe it. I think Rand Paul is... It, obviously, he is far more savvy a politician. Uh, I think that he does not share his father's views. I, I think he does not share his father's uh, spirit for libertarian thought. I think he... You know, what we see is what we get. I think his actions are not some grand scheme that Rand Paul's got just to get ahead and then he's going to... Ha! Fool the establishment. Because, you know what? Even if you get in... Look at Obama. Okay. Not that I, you know, not that Obama's anything great to talk about, but look at Obama. He got in. He had these great ideals. What's happened to them? Granted, he got health care passed, which is its own horrible thing, but he's hit a wall. If Rand Paul got elected doing this bait and switch, how far is he going to get anyway? It's not going to work. Even if he pulls off the shirt and he's a libertarian, or anything, it's not going to work. So I think we're seeing the real Rand Paul. I think we're. this is what you get. And uh, people have to accept that, and libertarians have to stop stop respecting him and stop supporting him as much as they are.
1: Yeah, and I'm not even sure which is the real Rand Paul because I mean, obviously, he grew up with Ron Paul, and I don't even mean to say Rand Paul is a bad guy or a terrible person or anything like that. I mean, he may certainly have the same views I do. I don't know, but that's kind of the problem: is that I don't know because I kind of hear two different things from him. I hear one Rand Paul a few years ago, and I hear a different one now. And let me just read one statement from him that I've read. I mean, if, if you can tell me this is a libertarian statement, well, then, you know, maybe maybe you guys out there have a different view of what libertarian is. But this is a statement from Rand Paul that from an article last week that was on foreignpolicy.com. dot com. And Rand Paul said, the world should be on notice. The United States will act with overwhelming force if it is attacked or if vital. This is important. Or if vital national security interests are at stake. In the case of the Syrian civil war, there is no clear American interest. In fact, U.S. intervention may might upset the stability of the region and work against our national security interests. By going into a war on the same side as Al-Qaeda and other Islam extremists, we might end up aiding the cause that attacked America on 9-11. While Syrian President Bashar al-Assad is clearly a bad guy, there is no clear military objective in Syria. Now, on the surface, this seems like a perfectly kind of great libertarian statement. He is saying this, this article, he is saying that we should not intervene in Syria. Obviously, we agree. We should not intervene militarily in Syria. But this kind of points out a problem with Rand Paul. He kind of tries to walk the fence. He tries to preach to libertarians and preach non-intervention, while at the same time still kind of towing that establishment line, still kind of saying, well, we still kind of are the world's police. Uh, if something threatens our interests, now what? What is a national security interest? According to Rand Paul, you know Israel is a national security interest. Mm-hmm. He stated the fact that if Israel is attacked, we must state boldly that we will, you know, support Israel in any kind of battle there is. Now, regardless of your stance on Israel and Middle East politics and all that stuff. That is clearly not a non-interventionist position.
3: Brian. I wrote an article about this, and I got a lot of flack over it. And there's two points in in that same statement on foreignpolicy.com that I'd like to reference. You know, the first one is that Rand Paul, he says this. Our nation's democratic principles give priority to the voice of individual liberties and freedoms. We will defend them with all our nation's might. We will not allow any nation or group to terrorize the free world, now or ever. That basically, like you said, says that Rand is saying, we're the police of the world. If you do anything that, you know, infringes on what we consider uh, freedom, we will attack you. We will get involved. We will go across the world to mess with you, to get involved in your politics, to unseat your dictators. Which is what we've been doing for the last 50 years. Uh, he actually later goes on to say something else, too, which I, I'm incredibly upset by, and this is why I accuse him of being a militarist. Is that, you know, Ron Paul, the father, he advocated bringing home the troops, getting rid of the bases, which is one of the th- reasons he thinks that we got attacked on 9 11, which I personally agree with, uh, you know, because we've been interfering with all these politics across the world. Osama bin Laden's own statements confirmed that, that he exactly. actually said
1: one of the reasons for this attack was the bases in Saudi Arabia. And what did the United States government do shortly after 9-11? They pulled the troops out of Saudi Arabia. Exactly. Almost just
3: saying, yeah, I guess that was really exactly a reason." right. Tacitly admitting it through their actions. Yep. And, but Rand Paul, in this statement, references the fact he goes, well, you know, uh, North Korea, the fact that our troops are there, you know, North Korea will never attack because they know that U.S. troops are stationed on that border. That's great. They know who that's great for? That's great for South Korea. I know they're an ally, but why do we have thousands tens of thousands of US troops stationed there across the globe there to protect somebody else from this potential threat when they should be home? You know, it's it's global militarism, it's getting involved everywhere, and I just I just don't agree with it on any level. Alright guys, our first whiskey chat's been fun. I think
1: we've made a lot of good points. I want to get kind of a closing statement from each of you. Odie, you've had your face buried in your in your dim beam for a while. What are your final thoughts on Rand Paul? On the reasons we bring this up and, you know, how we should, I guess, tree Rand Paul, treat politicians, libertarian, not just Rand Paul, but any politician, but specifically those with the libertarian label. Why is it important that we keep the closest eye on those that either claim to be libertarian or the public just sees as libertarian for whatever reason?
2: Well, I think it's important for a couple reasons. But, uh even if Rand Paul, you know, himself, even if you know in his heart if he thinks he's not a libertarian, he's already been labeled as one, so he's carrying the banner. And uh for that reason, it's up to the grassroots and the libertarian movement to hold him accountable. Um even if he's not a true libertarian, and in order to do that, we have to when he's holds, you know, true libertarian beliefs, we have to, you know, promote them and Pat him on the back and say, great job, Rand. And when he veers off course and holds more neoconservative or interventionist policies, we got to hold him accountable. There's one test that uh, I think is pretty relevant, and I like to call it the Lindsey Graham test. <laughs> and in the last couple of days, Lindsey Graham has had some, uh, some actually some nice words to say about Senator Rand Paul, <laughs> which is kind
1: of surprising because... I believe Lindsay, he said he's been very responsible.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, actually, the uh, it's a Politico article that I'm looking at here from uh, 1017. And uh, it starts out, you know, uh, first line, Rand Paul is no wacko bird. Just ask Lindsey Graham. So L- Lindsey Graham, you know, set up to be the voice of reason here in this article, uh, quoting Mr. Uh, Graham here. Rand Paul's been incredibly responsible. I've seen a side of Rand I haven't seen before. That's one of the pluses of this whole deal. He has been great. Uh, I can just picture them hugging in the back room after that uh, that quote. There, it's just pretty pretty sad to see to see someone like Lindsey Graham, you know, congratulating and patting you know Rand on the back, who just you know two uh, two and a half short years ago.
1: It's kind of, kind of like Charles Manson coming out and saying, you know, John Odermatt, he's a good guy. You, you can trust him. I know he's got some weird parties up in his house. There's some girls going up there, but they're not doing anything weird. He's a great guy. It's cool. Exactly. Cool.
3: <laughs> right. And spy the Zodiac Killer. Okay. Yeah. Brian, what are your final thoughts on this issue? Well, my final thoughts, and, and I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, is that... I view Rand Paul as a danger to the libertarian movement. I uh, I think that he's done a lot of good things. That's great. The filibusters, etc. cetera, uh, opposing arms sales to Egypt. But the thing is, Rand, as we touched on earlier, he's viewed as a libertarian. And when he takes these positions, when he gets compliments from Lindsey Graham, when he cozies up to Mitch McConnell, your average person... And uh, libertarians, uh, apparently, as well, your average person looks at him and they say, "Okay, well, libertarians are um, they're just neocon conservatives. They're just conservatives and they're part of the GOP. And thus, uh, you know, uneducated people are going to say, well, you know, forget that guy. Whereas he had a chance to be a true difference maker. If he, had, if he had really followed in Ron Paul's footsteps, Ron Paul attracted a lot of followers from both sides of the aisle. Mark and I personally know that. We In 2008, we went canvassing. We went door to door. And we had people open the doors who were Democrats. And I swear to you people, they actually listened to me. We actually converted people that were Democrats to come to the Libertarian Party and support Ron Paul, who was running as a Republican at the time. If Rand had adopted that, he would have a chance to make a change. He may get the presidential nomination, I don't know if he's going to win. I don't think independents are going to support him. I don't think Democrats are going to support him because they can see through his message or they're going to confuse his message with that in the GOP. And I I think that's a very dangerous thing for liberty. I don't want to see the liberty message be polluted by Rand Paul because of the way he's labeled.
1: Yeah, and I think the overall point here that I'd like to make is that there is no vendetta against Rand Paul. We've gotten accusations of being secret liberals or something like that yeah. you know we're we're secretly uh progressives that are trying to infiltrate uh you know conservatism and destroy it and all these all these crazy things we hear but honestly what it is is not a personal thing it is about ideas and it's because we place principles and ideas over some sort of short-term political gain i mean the biggest argument i hear is you know Rand is just saying X or just cozying up to Y or what have you to, you know, convince the establishment that he's safe and and this kind of thing. And I get that. It's not that I don't understand that. That's what I hear a lot. Oh, you don't understand politics. No, I do understand politics. I know that politics is the problem playing politics is why we've gotten where we are and Ron Paul woke up way more people by spewing the truth, whereas Rand Paul, with his kind of riding the fence statements, is doing nothing but muddling the truth and confusing the libertarian message, and that's what we want to point out. I have no doubt that Rand Paul is a, probably a great guy. I mean, he's raised by Ron Paul. He seems to know what he's talking about. He's clearly, clearly the best sender, and it's not even close. But, you know, that's like choosing your favorite serial killer. You know, <laughs> it's still it's the best of the worst. And as far as politicians go, we have to look beyond politics, we have to realize that if we're ever going to truly change society, we have to change the way people think, we have to change the way people view government, we have to change the way people view using collective force, which is what government is on each other.
0: This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. You want your kids to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to youth through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul, and you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash meetronpaul. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving.
1: Monday through Friday, The Morning Roar. That's right. Every morning, Monday to Friday, you can come to LionsLiberty.com and you will find The Morning Roar, which is just a little roundup of some stories that you know you may not see on CNN. You might not even see in your regular news feed, your social media. We go out and try to find some stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and try to give you you know a little bit of our liberty perspective on those stories as well. So be sure to come back and check The Morning Roar. Of course, every Monday, we've got our longest-running feature, Mondays with Murray, where we go back and take a look at a passage, a video, an article by the great libertarian Murray Rothbard. And every Thursday, you'll have a new edition of this show, The Lions of Liberty Podcast. You can find it over at our website before it's shot out there to the rest of the world on Daily Paul Radio. And then every single Friday, of course, we have Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt... You know,
2: enough Jim Beam, and it opened up my mind, and...
1: Goes out and tries to find a story about some sort of felony. Take a little look again at something that you might not see in the mainstream media. Not just things being committed by the police state, but felonies committed by politicians by average citizens, people that commit crimes that maybe shouldn't be felonies. We take a look at the whole thing. So we've got a lot going on at lionsofliberty.com, so come and check us out regularly. That's in addition to our, all sorts of our regular features, our other contributors, James Miller, Bionic Mosquito, Daryl Walters. We've got all sorts of great guys contributing to our site. And hey, if you're interested in contributing, email mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com.
0: Yes, I'm alive.
1: Please, guys, live long and live free.
0: Head of Editing and Mastering is John Dalton.